G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. God delays judgment and justice for a purpose. God's timing seldom coincides with your and my timing. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining me again on Today with Jeff Vines. My name is Bill and I hope you've been getting a lot out of this series, looking at Gideon's story in the book of Judges. Today we'll hear the rest of Pastor Jeff's message about the final principle, number seven, about how our timing and God's timing seldom match up. Let's finish off this message and the series now on Today with Jeff Vines. You know, I, I grew up in the South. And in the South, farmers love uh, to make designs in their crops, especially after harvest season. They love to create these little signs in their fields. The problem is you can't see it unless you're up above. If you try to make it out on grand level, you'll never do it. You say, well, that looks like an S. No, 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 that's an eight. You can't see unless you're up above. And I think, what a great example. It's, it only makes sense if, it's, if you're not in the midst of it, if you're above and beyond it, somehow if you transcend it. So when I hear somebody think in these terms, if I can't see a purpose to the unfortunate events of my life, there can't possibly be one. Now you think about that. Again, it's self-defeating. It's such a non-starter, a non-sequitur. You're claiming something that you don't have, which is omniscience. Because if God has an infinite mind and you have a finite mind, can you not admit there would be some limitations, some things that he could see that you could not? If God is who he says he is, we will often see part, but not the whole. You may see some of the design in the crops, but unless you stand above and beyond it, you will not be able to see the whole. We're not up in the air. We can't quite make it out. Would it not be nonsensical to be perplexed that you are perplexed, to be surprised that you are surprised by the events of your life, to be confused that you are confused about some of the things that happen. You should be perplexed. You should be confused. You should be surprised by some of the events of your life. You can't make out, is it an S or an eight? Because you're finite and thus your view is limited. You can't stand in the middle of a cornfield and know and understand everything about your life. You have to be above and beyond it. And only God has that sovereign, awesome privilege. Again, there are two immutable truths concerning the biblical God. Number one, God is all-powerful judge of history. Remember what we read in Ecclesiastes 3. Whatever is has already been. And whatever will be has been before. 
and God will call the past to account. He says in verse 17 of Ecclesiastes 3, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time for every need. Now listen carefully. Because God is the creator, he has the right to hand out judgment. He has the ability to discern judgment and he has the power to execute judgment. The real problem that most of us have is that he's not doing it now. Why doesn't God take care of this now? Why does God let so much injustice happen now? Why does he let things happen the way they do in my life now? And then you say, if I were God, aha, you done said it. You're not God. You're limited in your resources. You don't have the right to hand out judgment, the ability to discern judgment, and the power to execute it. You're not God. And God seems to be so much more interested in timing than you and I are. Remember when Jesus was casting out demons? I think it's in Luke. Could be a Mark. Should have checked that. But I know the story though. The narrative goes that Jesus is about to cast out some demons and he's gonna throw them into the pigs. And these cheeky little demons actually speak to Jesus. And they say, Jesus, we know who you are. Are you going to torment us before the appointed time? Now notice, have you come, Jesus? Have you come to us? Are you going to punish us before the appointed time? It's the Greek word kairos, which means significant moment. He's talking about the day of judgment. So these cagey little demons are cheeky and they say to Jesus, Jesus, we know you're who you are. We know you're going to judge us. We know that you're going to cast us into hell. We know judgment day is coming, but judgment day is not today. So you can't throw us into hell. This isn't the time. The demons know that today is not judgment day. Now here's a situation that needs to be rectified. Jesus does rectify it, but only partially because today is not the day. Why? Well, why does God delay judgment? Listen carefully. It is not the will of God that anyone should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. The staggering immeasurable grace, love, and mercy of God delays judgment so that those far from God will come near. Do you understand that? As passionate as God is about judgment, he is equally, if not more passionate, that all would escape the object of his wrath and live in eternity and eternal harmony with him. You know, if you think about it, some of you are thrilled that judgment hasn't happened yet. You're thrilled that judgment didn't happen last month, last week, last night, because you know you're not ready. If you really stop and think about it, you're glad God delays judgment, especially given the fact what you did last night or last week or last month. And you know there are some things that need to be put right in your life. The Bible teaches that God delays judgment out of his love for his people, but judgment will come. Is it difficult for God to see what we've done with his world? Yes. Is it difficult for God to watch us turn away from him, to denounce him and call what is good evil, what is evil good? Is it difficult? Does it break the heart of God to see so much wickedness and suffering in our world because of such power of thirst for a type of anonymity that rejects God where we become self-aggrandizing? the captain of our own ship, turning our attention away from God and onto what we want to achieve in this world apart from God. And you say, well, if it breaks God's heart of all the pain and suffering and 
If it hurts God that people turn away and denounce him and call what is good evil, evil good, then why doesn't he bring the hammer down? And the answer is the same reason he doesn't bring the hammer down on you. Grace and mercy, he's holding out for the day of repentance. Does this mean God is passive? No, in the meantime, and this is the narrative of Gideon, he uses all these unfortunate events of your life, many of which you brought on yourself to equip you for the greatest eternal victories of your life. He wants to turn you into a giant killer. You know, I was meeting with a friend of mine this week. And this is a friend who's been through a very difficult time in his life. I mean, the first 40 years of his life, he'll tell you he lived not for God, but he lived for himself. And he made a lot of stupid decisions and suffered a lot of stupid ramifications as a result. But he's a believer now. And he said something to me that, you know, I don't think I've ever heard a pastor say, I don't even think I've thought it in such a way as he's described it. He said, you know what? I messed up my life. I did a lot of stupid things, but once I became a believer, God took them all, gathered them together and used them for good. Wow. Now you hear what he's saying? He's not making an excuse. I did some stupid things and they led to some horrific ramifications for me and everybody around me. But when I gave them to Jesus, it seems like he picks up all the pieces and showed me how even those things could be used for a purpose greater than myself. You think, man, Jeff, I'm not, you mean my sins in the past? Yes. Let's say you were unfaithful in a marriage and all the ramifications, you're estranged from your children, estranged from your ex-wife, there's disharmony, disunity in your family, there's pain, there's suffering on every side. Now here's the question. Who now, after they have come to Jesus and given all of that to him, who now is best equipped to warn families of the carnage of unfaithfulness. You are. This is part of the good news. What if I told you that all these stupid things you've done are not merely forgiven, but pieced together to bring about good and not just, not just good, but eternal, ultimate good. That's God's forte redeeming the past. And redemption is much more than just forgiving your sin. It's taking all those things that you did that were just foolish and somehow gathering them together, what you did to others, what they did to you, and actually using them for his glory and his eternal extravagant purposes. Some of you are like Humpty Dumpty. You fell off the wall and you're shattered. By the way, personally, I've always thought Humpty Dumpty was shoved. I say that because maybe you were too. It's no fault of your own. Somebody pushed you off the wall. You're shattered. Either way, it doesn't matter at this point. I know there's a savior who is so willing to put you back together again. Whoever pushed you, judgment will come. Leave that with God. Put it all behind you and let God put you back together again. And who knows? He may be doing the same thing to the person who actually offended you. You don't know what God is doing in the other person's life. As he's building you into a giant killer, maybe he's doing the same to someone else. The person who violated you in some way, God may bring him or her to the end of themselves because of this experience. Let God be judge. You lack the ability to discern judgment and the power to execute judgment. Let God do it. You respond to the unfortunate events of your life in such a way that God can equip you for future service. You know, I think one of the greatest reunions 
People talk about how when we get to heaven, we're going to see our, our, our mom, our dad, our lost loved ones, people that we miss and we love, and there's going to be a great reunion. Let me tell you about another reunion that the scripture talks about. When you get to heaven to be with Jesus, I think you're going to see people you're surprised to be there. Of course, they're going to be surprised to see you there. You're going to be surprised that they're there. And then you're going to be overwhelmed with love. You know why? Because somewhere along the line in eternity, you're going to hear how God used the events of their lives to bring repentance. And this person who so brutally wounded you has now been redeemed and saved by the blood of the Lamb. And I think we'll be so overwhelmed by the grace and the mercy of God that when we're in the presence of Jesus, we'll realize how much we've been forgiven. And that's why we'll celebrate and rejoice for all of eternity. We will recognize maybe for the first time in our lives, we deserve nothing and yet we got everything. Therefore, our heart will be moved when we notice someone who was far from God who came near. You say, but Pastor Jeff, I gotta be honest, I don't want them to be forgiven. I want God to get them. In fact, I gotta be honest, that's my prayer every day. God, get them. I want them to be cast into hell. And that's why Jesus gives you a warning in Matthew 7, for in the same measure you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I wonder if there's anyone praying that you would perish. God is an all-powerful judge of history. Second and finally, you say, well, we haven't gotten to the seventh principle yet. I told you we'll get there. It's the end of the message, but we have to do our homework first. Second, God is the wise, loving weaver of history. God is an all-powerful judge of history. God is the wise, loving weaver of history. In verse 18 of Ecclesiastes 3, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. As for humans, God tests them so that they may see that they are truly like the animals. Now, just quickly, <laughs> why is it important that we see we're like the animals? Well, in this context, it's talking about time or temporariness. In other words, we're just like the animals. We too are gonna die one day. But he says, as for humans, God tests them that they may see they're like animals, that we may see that we are temporary in this flesh. And the word test, by the way, uh, it's a word that means uh, to throw all the grain uh, up into the air so that the wheat can be separated from the chaff, so that the wind may blow away what is wasted so that the valuable seed may fall to the ground. The Bible tells us numerous times, this is what our unfortunate events do to us. They test us, they refine us, they squeeze us until the good stuff comes out. That it might reveal, that, it, that God may reveal in us whether or not our goals and objectives are ultimate or whether or not they are temporary at best. Do we, listen, do we live for God and his purposes or for our purposes and our own self-aggrandizement? Can I answer that? I, I've, I've posed that numerous times as a rhetorical question. Can I answer it this time? You and me, what purpose do we live by? Do we live for God and his purposes? Or do we live for our own goals, objectives, and self-aggrandizement? You know the answer, right? You and me together, we all live for our purposes and our own self-aggrandizement. The way God deals with that, the crosses of your life are supposed to reveal the fragility of our objectives 
in hopes that they will open our eyes to bring us to things that last. In the same way that God did his best work when Jesus was on the cross, God will do his best work in you when you respond as Jesus did while bearing the cross of his life. And how did he respond? Not my will, but yours be done. That is the ultimate, ultimate foundation of the wild life. Okay, Jeff, you're going to tell me the final principle? You probably guessed it by now. When you wake up every morning and begin every new day, we've said that you're very well aware of the many unfortunate events that will come into your life. Somebody's going to be rude to you today. Somebody's going to slander you. You're going to have harsh words directed at you. Somebody's going to betray you. There may be an illness or health challenges, even loss of life. When you wake up, you must determine each day that you remind yourself of this seventh principle. God's timing and your timing seldom coincide. Your job is to be faithful. God's job is to bring everything together for his good. Your job is to respond to every situation with Christ-likeness. God's job is to bring judgment in his time and his way. Your job is to love, forgive, and show mercy. God's job is to help the offender see your response and perhaps repent. Your job is to take bad news in stride. God's job is to use every situation for his glory. Your job is to stay the course. God's job is to grant you peace, power, and wisdom to thrive and to endure because our, listen, our greatest masterpieces often emerge from our greatest trials. During this series, we've been ending with a story. Let me do the same. It was not uncommon in the 18th century England for a boy to spend several uninspiring months uh, into boarding school and then head out to sea during summer vacation or during school holidays. John was 11 years old. His father was the master of the Mediterranean trade ship. So his father naturally took him on board. That's where he would spend his school holidays. This turned out to be incredibly successful preparation for John's next endeavor as he became a member of the Royal British Navy. Unfortunately, John was a little rebel. No discipline whatsoever. He hated being told what to do. He detested all authority. So you say, well, Jeff, if that's true, why on earth would John have joined the Navy? Well, that's the question he asked himself, which is why he decided to go AWOL. He was arrested and flogged in public for his desertion. Forced back into the Navy as just a common everyday sailor. And somehow, through his conniving, he gained permission to sail on the HMS Harwich, a famous ship bound for the African coast. Now, by this time, John had become a rotten apple in the barrel. He chose his friends unwisely. He mocked everybody in authority. He sank to the depths of every vice. In Africa, John fell into the service of a slave trader. Now, slave work fascinated John because he began to see how potentially lucrative this business really was. But before he knew it, he found himself working as the dealer's slave on the dealer's plantation with all the other slaves. And of course, he's so conniving. Finally, at the age of 21, he discovered a way he could escape. When he did, he returned once again. You'd think he would have learned some lessons, but he returned once again to the depravity of his teenage years. He hopped on the outbound ship called the Greyhound. 
and mixed and mingled with every low life he could find. True story now, one night after a rather vigorous complaint session where he ridiculed the, the captain, the crew, the seaman, even a little book that he had read called The Imitation of Christ, nothing was sacred in his mind. The ship in the, in the middle of the night sailed into a violent storm. He woke up to discover that his cabin was half filled with water. The ship's side had actually caved in and the Greyhound was going down quickly. Ordinarily, damage like this, we're told historically, uh, the ship would be at the bottom of the ocean in just a few minutes. But in this case, the buoyancy of the ship's cargo actually brought, or bought rather, a few precious hours of time. Nine hours, they tried to pump out the water and John heard one of the crew say, that's it, fellas, we're all goners. And John, according to the story, for the first time in his life, prayed, And this was his prayer. If this will not do, the Lord have mercy on us. If we can't get all of this water out of here, Lord have mercy on us, save us. The record actually shows the Greyhound did not go down. And John remembered the prayer he had prayed until the day he died. In fact, it became such a powerful moment in John's life, that moment in which God revealed himself to John, that he observed this most significant incident with prayer and fasting on the anniversary every year on that day until he died. Now, John went on to retire from the sea and become a minister of the gospel. You may have heard of him. His name is John Newton. Bad boy turned good by divine intervention. And his words are still sung in churches all over the world and celebrated to this day. You may have heard of him. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. What a masterpiece. The wildlife's overarching attitude. Our greatest masterpieces often emerge from our greatest trials, but they only do so when we recognize that our timing and God's timing seldom, if ever, coincide. Go now and live the wildlife. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. And that wraps up Gideon and the seven principles we can take from his story in the book of Judges. There's been plenty to learn from this passage, and I pray we're all able to apply these principles to our lives. Next time, Pastor Jeff will have a new message and a brand new series for us. I hope you can join us again next time on Today with Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.